Welcome to the Spurs 9501 podcast. From Kane to the lane, the final say on all things Tottenham. Welcome back to the Spurs 9501 podcast. I've got Harshal Patel again with us. Welcome back, Harshal. Thank you, Thank for, you for having me again, Ray. It's great to be back. No, no, we got some really good feedback from Harshal's first video, excellent video on tactics and XG, etc. So we really wanted to get Harshal back to talk about what Nuno's potentially going to do in the future, what formations he might play, what his record has been, etc., etc. So, Harshal, I think you, you wanted to clarify some things about XG and XGA, etc. So please go ahead. Yeah, so... As you mentioned, we, we sort of int- I introduced what expected goals is in the last uh, podcast that we did. And it's also, I think, important to point out how it should be used or rather what you should be looking for when you look at those numbers. Yep. Because it's all well and good knowing what XG is, but there's um, you also need to understand when it's useful and when it's not. So, like, for example, personally, and I think this is a view that's shared by many in the in the football analytics community that the way a lot of the broadcasters use XG, which is, for example, say a Sky Sports or a BBT, uh, BBC or ITV or whoever, they nowadays, are at the end of a game, when you have all your statistics from a game, they'll also pop in the XG there. So yep. say it was Spurs versus Chelsea. Spurs had uh, an XG of 2.5. Chelsea had an XG of 1.5, where the final score was one all, for example. And what, the, what people think that means is that, oh, okay, Spurs created more chances or rather they or that they created better quality chances they should have scored more goals but uh, they only scored one goal whereas chelsea scored one goal when they only had say uh, when they had a lesser yeah. um, xg value from the match and that that does hold true but it's um it's not as clear cut as as uh, it looks because the way to look at XG from a single game and i, I mentioned this earlier uh, in the last episode is that ideally you, you want to look at XG over a period of time because it's best used as a predictive tool because it can tell you how well a team is doing in terms of creating chances. XGA is obviously expected goals against, so it'll tell you how good a team is at preventing chances uh, from being created against them. And uh, whether the, when the goal numbers don't really match that, you can may and obviously with a little bit more analysis, you can maybe make a case that, you know what, so-and-so team are not doing so well at the moment, but their XG numbers are really good. You know, they're creating chances, but they're not scoring the goals. So they, you can expect them to maybe come back to the mean in that sense, the reversion to the mean where you you can expect them to maybe start scoring goals again sooner, for example. that's yep. And that's yep. uh, one thing we saw with Brighton last year, who were, I mean, the, the darlings of the analytics world in that sense, because they were doing fantastically on all types of metrics, XG, XGA, PPDA, all of those metrics, but they were down at the bottom of the table. So, the, the conclusion that people drew from there was that, you know what, they should be higher up the table, but they're not, which is true. But that was also down to the fact that their strikers were not finishing. You know, they were creating the chances, but the strikers weren't finishing um, the chances that were being created. So there is a case to be made that if Brighton can recruit a good center forward this summer and they can keep most of the work that they did last season going into the new season, that they should do much better this year. But that's just an overall... Um, over, uh, sort of like an overview of what I was talking about, but when sure. looking at the single matches, yep. what you need to look at is say, okay, going back to the example I used earlier, where Spurs say have an XG of two point five from one match, and from the same game, their opponents Chelsea have had an XG of one point five. But it could very well be that Spurs 
you know, only had, say, or not only, say Spurs had 20 shots in the game. Chelsea had only 10 shots. Again, if you only look at the shots, you'll think, well, that, that, uh, you know, that, that supports what I was thinking earlier. Spurs were more attacking. They had more shots. They had higher XG. But you then need to look at the individual shots as well. Because uh, if you remember going back to my discussion on what XG is, an XG value is assigned for every shot that is taken, right? Yep, so, yep. and obviously the higher, the higher the XG value, the, the greater the likelihood of scoring. So it could very well be that Spurs had 20 shots, but most of them were long distance shots or shots from positions that were not great or there were defenders in the way. So the individual XG values were low, but because they had 20 shots, when you add them all up, it adds up to a decent number, say 2.5, for example. Chelsea, on the other hand, 10 shots, 1.5 XG, but they've had those shots from really good positions. Yeah, so, so the individual yeah. XG value of those shots is higher. Yeah. So then that, that they've, they've actually created the better chances. Even though Spurs may have had more shots and their total XG is higher. When you look at it in that way, Chelsea could actually have been the team that created the better chances. Yeah. No, that actually makes sense. That makes sense, actually. So and, the total XG yeah. value is not really a good indicator of how good the chances were. Yeah. Exactly. So it's ideal when you're looking at just one match that you try and find out what the individual um, XG values for the shots were, how many shots were taken, because that will give you a much better idea of how good a team was. And it's also important to remove penalties from the equation. Okay. So a, penal- a, p- a penalty has the highest XG of any chance. Uh, most stats providers will give you um, an XG value of 0.74 to uh, between 0.74 or 0.76. So effectively, 75% or 0.75 will be the value of a penalty, which is, again, going, it's, it's historical trends that three out of four penalties are scored, basically. Historical, that's yep. the XG value that you will get for a penalty. And as you can see, that's that's a massive um, amount, right? Like So again, when you're looking at, a, at the XG totals from a single game, it's best to remove penalties if there have been any awarded in the match, because that will give you a true picture of what chances were created because the penalty can, can give you, you know, can inflate your XG total extremely, uh, by, by a, a pretty big margin when, you know, you may not really have created too much, but just because you got a penalty, you've scored that penalty or missed it, but your XG value has been inflated because you got the penalty. So these are two things which I think it's, um, important to remember when you're looking at expected goal, um, numbers from individual matches. As I said earlier, you can all, this is uh, not to say that you can't use them when you're looking at single uh, individual matches. It's just that you just need to drill down a little more into the data, try and find out indi- what the individual values are. And that will give you a much better picture of how, um, how the game was in terms of creativity and which team was uh, creating better chances. Okay, Arshul, that's very good. So just in summary, then don't look at the total XG value, look at the individual XG values. And secondly, remove any penalties because they've got a 0.75 rating. They may skew the overall uh, XG value, uh, the total value. Is that correct? So that's good point. As far as, unfortunately, Absolutely. Sky Sports yes. and these other guys don't do that. So <laughs> we'll have to try and do it ourselves or maybe work with you on that one. So <laughs> that's really good. Um, yeah. So I believe you wanted to talk about Nuno, um, potential tactics and the way he's played previously and how you think it may work in the future with Spurs. Is, uh, can you give us some more information on that, Harshal? Yes. So, 
Um, obviously, we all know Nuno's work in England with Wolves. He's spent a good amount of time there. He, he one season in the Championship as well, where they absolutely um, took that division by storm. Uh, won the title, came up to the Premier League. They've been a very good, solid Premier League side uh, in in the three seasons that he's been in the Premier League as well. But that has also sort of created the impression that he is a defensive manager or someone who looks to, you know, try and close out games and, and not really attack a lot. And what I'll say to that is that Nuno is actually the definition of a pragmatic manager. Now, people use the term pragmatic for most famously for, for Mourinho, for Jose Mourinho. Yep. But the truth is that Mourinho is as, is as stubborn and as dogmatic in that sense as a Pep Guardiola or a Jurgen Klopp. Because while, say, Klopp, Guardiola, Eric Ten Hag, these guys are all, um, you know, more about having the ball, trying to attack. And that is their sort of Bible or that's the way they want to play no matter who the opposition is. Mourinho, on the other hand, was, or rather is someone who will more than not look to seed the, the initiative. He, he'll want to give the ball away. Not really a fan of having the ball. He's fine staying back, having his team defend and then counter, counter-attacking. That is um, sort of his, the the way he operates, but it's it's quite rigid as well, right? So he's, I would not say people in the media or just generally the, the people often use the word pragmatic for Mourinho and that's not the case. Pragmatic basically means that he's uh, someone who is willing to adapt to circumstances and is willing to change based on the environment and what the situation is. And that's actually some, Nuno is um, someone who is a lot like that because He's played with the back three, yes, for the most, uh, for the majority of time at Wolves, but that is because of the nature of the squad that he had at Wolves, where it was very well suited to playing with the back three. He did try and move to a back four last season. It didn't work out too well, but I, my argument is that that's A, down to the, the fact that he attempted this switch in the middle of a season. You, you need a lot of time in preseason to drill a new system into players, especially when you've not played that system at all, right? Wolves, yes been playing a back three for years and he suddenly moves to a back four, that even the players will need time to adapt to it, which they didn't have because he made this change midway through the season, especially during last season, which was anyway extremely compact, extremely tight because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yep. You know, yep. Matches were being held with lesser and lesser time between them for teams to recover and work on training and all of that. So, And also, I will also, I will also argue that maybe Wolves probably didn't have the players to play with the back four that well. So, when you look at all of that, I think Nuno, it's not a given that he will play with the back three. But having said all, all of the stuff that I said earlier, I personally do think that he will play with the back three because when I look at the Spurs squad, it does seem very well suited to playing with the back three and wing backs. Now, I'm just going to share my screen here yeah. and um, put so, out a couple of potential lineups that you could see. Yeah. While with, you're doing uh, that, there's you know, a lot of. There's, yes, a lot of, ahead, there's a lot of talk that, uh, you know, Nuno is Mourinho 2.0 and he's very... Are, is there a lot of similarities between um, Mourinho and Nuno? Is Nuno a disciple of Mourinho or do they have the same thought? I know you spoke about that, but is that actually true in the stats and the way they play? I mean, they, they, do, have, they do have a connection. I mean, Nuno's played under Mourinho. Yeah, yeah. Nuno was at a goalkeeper Porto, yeah. for Mourinho uh, back... back yeah, back when he was at when Mourinho was Porto manager, so they do have a connection in that sense. But from what I have read, 
about Nuno. He's uh, quite different to Mourinho in the sense that he really likes to build a family sort of environment at the club. Right. He's, from, from all accounts that whatever we've heard about the the working environment at Wolves with the coaches and the players, it's very tight knit. They're very um, he, he's someone who is empathetic in that sense. He sure, will sure. Uh, take he will he will try and understand players. He'll try and make them feel valued. He'll try and uh, build them up in that sense, which, I mean, as a Man United fan, talking about Spurs, when we talk about Mourinho, yeah. that's not something... No, he's not famous for that. ...that comes to yeah. mind, right? Mourinho... Muri- yeah, I mean, no, Mourinho does have... Like, there are players who you can talk to today and they will still tell you that they'd run through a wall for Mourinho. But I think there's a very specific type of player who connects with Mourinho because Mourinho is still more of an old-school manager yeah. in terms of his mentality. So... At Spurs, I think Harry Kane has been one of the most um, outspoken or rather he's been the one player who's been very happy under Mourinho or someone who was willing to do what Mourinho asked him to do. But, uh, I mean, we've seen with Luke Shaw, the resurgence that he's had at Man United after Mourinho left. Paul Pogba's also done much better at United after Mourinho left. But So, I think the modern footballer needs a little bit more... Um, you know, you need to have a shoulder around the arm. You need to try and understand them, encourage them rather than sort of berating them yep, or, or yep. you know calling them out in public mm-hmm. criticizing them in public mm. that sort of thing doesn't really work with modern footballers or just the mod, uh, say my generation or maybe even a generation younger than mine yeah, sure. so in that sense I think Nuno will bring a lot of difference I think the environment around the club will be a lot better than what it was uh, under Mourinho from what I've heard uh, he's not been able he's not been allowed to bring his entire backroom staff I think he's bringing three or four people along Sure, from uh, sure. the guys who were with him at Wolves in terms of his coaching stuff. Yeah. So it, it it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that works out in terms of his dynamic with the guys with some of the coaches who are already there at Spurs. But yeah. he does like to build a, uh, an inclusive and a and a I'd say a positive environment in that sense. So just from that point of view, I think he's quite different from Mourinho, and and Spurs should hopefully see the benefit of that this season. Okay, excellent. Thanks for that. So, did you want to share your screen so our viewers can see? You know your 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 yes. your the presentation that you're going to give. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, just doing that. Yeah, so I hope that's visible. Yep. Um. Now. Oh, that's better. Yeah, yep, I yep. think that's better. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. So when you look at this sort of lineup. It's a back. It's a three-four-three. This, I think, this is something that Spurs fans should get used to seeing next season. Okay. And I've put the probable, I've put the probable starters in there, who I expect um, to be the starting eleven. Okay. Assuming that uh, Spurs do get the deal for Takehiro Tomiyasu done. Yeah. Um, obviously, a bid has been put in uh, with Bologna, and from what I've read, there's not too much difference in terms of what Bologna are asking for and what Spurs have. Offered at the moment, so I expect that deal to get made. Now, okay. He's a Japanese. He's a Japanese international defender who is comfortable playing as at at right back or in a back three as the right sided centre back. So I expect him to slot into that uh, spot in the Spurs eleven. Yep. And the the rest of the lineup, as you can see, if obviously Toby Alderweireld stays, he'll be at the centre. Mm. Ben Davies or maybe even Joe Rodon as the left sided centre back. You've got. Um, Sergio Reguilon and Matt Doherty as the wingbacks. Yep. Pierre Emil uh and 
potentially Tango and Dombley in the midfield pivot, and then you've got your front three of uh, Son, Lucas, Kane. Now, I'm just going to show another alternative lineup here where, say, uh, if you had a 3-4 or a 3-5-2, it doesn't have to be a 3-4-3. Nuno's also played a 3-5-2. Yep. And then again, you can see I've provided alternatives to the players who were starting. So, Eric Dyer can easily slot in for Aldo Varel. Joe Rodon can come in for uh, Ben Davies. Jafet Tanganga is also, I think, quite comfortable playing as the right-sided centre-back, so he can come in there. Um, midfield, again, Oliver Skip has come back from a very, very good loan yeah. at Norwich City. So, if he sticks around, if he doesn't go for another loan, I think he will be competing with uh, Indombele in the midfield. Um, you've got Ryan Sessegnon coming back from loan as well. He, I think, is very well suited to playing as a wing-back rather yeah. than as a full-back. So, that's another position where I think... He can slot in, act as backup for Reguilon. Uh, and if if Spurs do go with a 3-5-2, you, you will have, obviously, the extra midfielder in there, which brings in Giovanni Lo Celso or Dele Alli to play behind the two strikers. And I think that that is something that Nuno will look to uh, exploit because both Lo Celso and Dele are extremely creative players. They're very good on the ball and they will provide an extra creative threat. So, op- depends on the opposition, depends on how Nuno would want to approach certain games. But uh, that was my these two lineups were that was, uh, uh, how I see uh, them lining up. Okay, Ashu, just a quick question. Um, uh, this sorry again, it might be a stupid question, but when would you play three four three as opposed to three five two? Like you said, there, what determines which formation that you want to play? Is it more what, the way the opposition plays, or is it more the way you want to play in a certain match? How, what makes that decision for you? It's a bit of both. So, just. Uh, in terms of, if I was just to look at it in terms of how the opposition are playing, if you've got a team against you who like to play centrally, who try to create central progression, yep. uh, play with possession, and I mean not necessarily possession, I'd say, but basically like to try and exploit the center. Yep. That's when you try. That's when you probably use a three-five-two because immediately you've got the two strikers there who can, when you don't have the ball, when the opposition have possession. The two strikers can stay central, block off passing lanes yep. um, into midfielders, force the ball out wide. Whereas if you're playing a team that's really good down the flanks, yep. you might probably you'd, prob- you'd probably move to a three-four-three like this one because that when the front three drops off, you'd see the wingers coming into uh, coming into the midfield line and the wingbacks dropping into the defensive line. So yeah. the three-four-three will become a five-four-one in defense. And again, this is going back to something I spoke about on the last episode where I said that formations are not static in in football. You know, a team usually will play in one formation or one shape when they have the ball, but it'll change when they don't have the ball. So this is just one perfect example of that where you can see this setup as a 3-4-3, but when Spurs won't have the ball in the setup, they will move into like a 5-4-1 with the wingbacks dropping back and the wingers dropping back. So you're then covering the width of the pitch and denying the opposition easy ways to, you know, move the ball down the flanks. So, as you said, as you said, Ray, uh, it it depends on the players you have available. It depends on what you're trying, excuse me, it depends on what you're trying to do in the match. But if you're looking at it in terms of how the opposition play, this is just one simple way of looking at it, like uh, in terms of if they play wide or if they like to play uh, with width, You'd probably go with the three four three. If they like to play centrally, you'd probably go with the three uh, three five two. 
And the thing is, if you've got uh, you know, the 3-5-2 and then they play centrally and then the other team, they have got a fluid formation, they change their formation, they start playing around the back uh, or on the side, then you might move to a 3-4-3 again. You, know, you have to be, as you yeah. said, you've got to be fluid in your formations. Yeah, and, and both formations are quite interchangeable, especially depending on players. Like if you've got a player who can play multiple roles, yep. you can switch between these two formations or you can switch between multiple formations. Like yep. again... Um, I'll, I'll go back to the Euros at the, uh, that are obviously going on. We have the, we have the final tonight. Uh, Denmark, they, they started the tournament with a 4-2-3-1. And then unfortunately, obviously, we had the incident with Christian Eriksen. So they then moved to uh, a 3-4-3. But again, in the game against Wales, they really struggled with uh, Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, you know, picking up space behind the midfield yep. because they were getting overloaded there. So the, the Denmark manager, I think it was... 15 or 20 minutes into the game, he moved Andreas Christensen from the three-man backline into midfield and they went from a 3-4-3 to a 4-3-3. And that was a change that was made within the game, you yep. know, 20 minutes into the game. So that's just one example of how teams can change stuff. And that had a bit, that had a bit, that had a big effect, didn't it? Because, you know, they started coming more into the game and they won 4-0. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So that, that tells you how both that how teams can change things around, you know, uh, during a game without needing to make substitutions, for example. Sure. And also, as you said, you know, that can then have a huge impact. So that's that's the sort of thing you we can expect from Nuno. And um, I'm just going to go into a little more detail sure. around sure. Absolutely. Know, history yep. at, at different clubs. And then I'm going to look at uh, how there are just certain specific things tactically that you can expect. So okay. uh, if you look at... If you look at his history in terms of just uh, the numbers. Now, I've got data here from the 2015-16 season, which was his second season at Valencia. Unfortunately, there's no data available at, for the 2014-15 season, which was his first season at Valencia. Yep. So, this is basically um, a look at some just top top line numbers from the last six seasons that, that Nuno has uh, spent as a manager. So, if you look at PPDA, for example, and I explained PPDA in the last uh, the last time we spoke, Ray, which is it, it is a way to explain or or to show how intensely a team are pressing, yeah. and uh, the lower the number, the better it is because it 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 basically reflects the number. It's passes per defensive uh, action, so it tells you how often a team are making a defensive action, like a block, a tackle, an interception, for X number of opposition passes. So in the list over here, you can see that in the 2016-17 season when he was at Porto, uh, Porto had a PPDA of 5.77. That means that for every nearly every six passes that the opposition made, um, Porto were attempting a defensive uh, uh, a defensive uh, action, whether that's a tackle, a block, an interception, or whatever it may be. And it's also important to remember that PPDA is normally measured in the top 60% of the pitch. So from the opposition, from the goal line on the opposition's goal till about where the center circle ends in your own half. So yep. you're essentially looking at how high a team is pressing or high or how, you know, uh, along with how intensely they're pressing. So sure. if we look at this table, um, other than other than Porto, was he manager at Porto or do you mean Valencia? And both at Wolves and Valencia. Sorry, yeah. No, no, I'm saying that other other than Porto, where Porto were a very high-pressing team, they sure. pressed quite aggressively. Yep. 
the rest of his sides have not been extremely aggressive like you can see last season wolves had the second highest ppda that's why 19th when i say 19th i mean that they had the second highest ppda in the league in the premier league the year before that it was 17th the year before that it was 18th so they've consistently been in the bottom 3 in terms of intensity of press or just how hard they press you know right. they've been one of the sides that look to sit back sit and back, that's yeah. true even in the 1718 season in the yeah. 1718 season when wolves were in the championship which they won by a big margin they were still 21st out of 24 teams in terms of uh how high they press or how you know how hard they press so i think that's something that we can expect again from from uh, from him he does put a lot of emphasis on physical training and on fitness so i do expect that side uh, to improve for spurs because i think that was also a concern under mourinho but with that i don't think it will be a very aggressive uh, press or a very aggressive side i think it ties back to what system he's going to play if he's going to play with a back 3 and the, if he's going to try and implement similar strategies to how he was doing at wolves it will it will be uh, a less intense style of play but if he looks to go how we did with porto then we could potentially see more attacking football but it must be noted here that porto have been you know and still are one of the heavyweights of portuguese football it's the the portuguese title has over the last 20 years been sort of been handed back and forth between benfica and porto you know yep. sporting yep. sporting portugal just won the title last season but that was their first title in 19 years yep so Porto have been one of the strongest sides in Portugal here and that's not the case with Wolves or Spurs so yeah with regard to their standing in England so i i am inclined to think that it will be a case of uh, Nuno playing a little more uh, conservative i wouldn't say conservatively but him maybe playing a little not as intensely or not as uh, much on the front foot as as he did at Porto and again if you look at the next one which is possession again porto is the, is the is the outlier there where you see an average of almost 61% possession for the season everywhere else it's been around the 50% mark wolves it's been 45% 48% so you we we i i know we had a question um on the last week around what we can expect in terms of possession numbers i i again i think that just in terms of possession i don't think wolves are going to dominate possession uh, sorry spurs are going to dominate possession yeah they will probably look to you know try and sit back and counter attack which i think is fine i think spurs again have the players to be able to do that and i move on to the sort of tactical elements of that in a bit but again um lastly if you look at the xg and the xga uh they wolves were sort of i'd say around the mid table in terms of the quality of chances they created with respect to the rest of the league so they ranked 13th 8th 10th in the league for xg over the last three seasons they were fourth in the 1718 season but that was in the championship so that's obviously um quite a reduction in quality porto is again the outlier here where they were you know top of the league for xg top almost top of the league for goals scored it's a similar story when you look at xga uh, they've been more or less around mid table although the 1920 and 1819 seasons were quite good they were fifth they were the fifth and fourth best sides in the league in terms of xga and the fifth and sixth best sides in the league league in terms of uh, goals conceded i think last season 2020-21 at wolves can be thought of as an outlier because there were just so many mitigating circumstances you know um 
I, I spoke about how uh, Nuno is someone who is a family man in that sense. He likes to create that family environment. He himself has spoken about how he suffered from not being able to visit Portugal over the last say year or so to yep. meet his family and yep. being away from his own family took a toll on his own mental health and his own uh, mood and all of that. Sure, sure. Uh, there was obviously there was obviously the injury to Raul Jimenez. Yep. The the mid season switch to a back four which they weren't used to. So I think when you look at all of that, the 2020-21 season was a bit of an outlier from Wolves. I think you can expect to see um, Spurs. I, I think they will improve defensively under under Wolves uh, under Muri, uh, under Nuno, rather uh, in terms of what we saw under Mourinho. You know, Mourinho has always been thought of as a very good manager in terms of uh, setting up teams to defend, but that really wasn't the case uh, over the last season at, at Spurs. But I think Nuno will be able to recapture that. And while uh, the attacking side of things may take a little bit more time to, to come through, defensively, I think Spurs will be on the money. One of the uh, things we had... They, Arshul, they will, I don't think they're going to concede too many. One of the things that Tottenham were famous for go, last season... One of the things Tottenham were famous for last season was conceding goals in the last five, ten minutes of matches. They lost about... I don't know how many points from winning positions, you know. Do you think that's going to change under Nuno? Do you think we're going to be more secure for the whole yeah. of the game? I do think so because, again, that that is something that stemmed from Mourinho's mentality. He, very famously, if Spurs take a, or, you know, were taking a lead, he'd then sit back and defend. He wouldn't try and score another goal. Yeah. If it's 1-0, he wouldn't try and make it 2-0. And that came back to bite Spurs quite a lot, where they drew games and they lost games because they hadn't scored it enough early on and they invited pressure on them. I don't think that'll be the case under Nuno. I okay, mean, I'm okay. not saying that there will be times when you need to sit back sure, defend sure. when the opposition are doing well, when they have momentum. But in terms of mentality, I don't think that, that that'll happen. You know, um, It's okay. not a case of, you know what, we've got one goal, that's fine. He, you, will pro- you will see... And I just think in general, Wolves have shown a lot of mental resilience over the last three or four seasons. And that's a lot of that is down to um a lot of that is down to Nuno and the coaching staffs. So that I expect that to be transplanted uh, in at Spurs as well. Good. Excellent. So uh, yeah. you go now, ahead, um, you got this, another chart you wanted to show? Yeah, this is just as the title suggests, it's a ten game average of um the XG and XGA for Nuno under the last six seasons, this seasons we spoke about, so Valencia, Porto, and then Wolves. This is a pretty useful way to look at long-term trends and see, you know, how well a manager did or how badly they did in terms, excuse me, in terms of creating chances and conceding chances. And again, we're looking at a ten-game rolling average to to remove, um, you know, outliers. There could be one game where a team, you know, created 4.5 worth of XG. But if I was to just plot those on the chart, then you'd see wide swings because single, as I said, you know, XG, when you're looking at long-term um, trends and long-term uh, implications, it's, it's best to look at XG in this manner rather than single observation. So we can see here that the season at Porto, again, stands out where there's a huge difference in the in the XG and the XGA, there's a huge difference in terms of the number of chances created, or rather the quality of chances created and the quality of chances conceded. Everywhere else, 
it's they're, they're a lot closer. I think again, you can see in the seventeen eighteen season in the championship, Wolves did really well, and that's reflected here by the fact that the XG and the XGA, the XGA is higher than the XGA for for most for the entire season. The seasons after that, it, it overlaps. There are times where the expected goals against has gone above the expected goals, which basically means that you'd probably expect to concede more goals than you were scoring, which yep. is obviously not a good thing. So, yep. And the last season, as you can see, the last season was not really good, 2020-21. But as I've already mentioned how I think that that is a bit of an outlier. And in general, you can expect to see that, you know, the XGA will be lower than the XG long-term, say 10, 15, 20, 30 odd games. And in terms of goal scoring, it'll be down to um, the players that, that Nuno has at his disposal. Because in that sense, he is a little bit similar to Mourinho in that he might, he uh, as I said, you know, he, there will be a bit of emphasis on counter-attacking, but it'll be a lot more structured than than we've seen under Mourinho. So overall, I, I think it's, it's a good uh, time to get him because he will, you know, he he he. I think he needed to get away from Wolves, the environment. He'd, he'd spent four seasons there, and at times you need a bit of a change. And I think Spurs can give that, give him that change with a fresh squad that is, you know, that will be receptive to his ideas. There's all, you know, because there's also a case of you know, the same guy repeating the same message over and over again for two, three, four seasons. It loses value. Yep, yep. That's what happened with Pochettino. I think he lost its value. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that Spurs need a fresh voice and he will be able to provide that. And as I've shown with these numbers and, and some of the metrics that, have, uh, that we've seen here, he will, I think, immediately improve the defense. The attack could take a little bit more time, but because it's but if uh, Spurs play with a sort of back five counter-attacking football, I think that plays into the hands of the of the squad that Spurs have because I think that's, it's very well suited to playing in that manner. And I'm just going to now um, look at a few tactical setups that you can expect to see from Spurs. Uh, there's a lot of noise in the background, Harshal. It's coming through. Uh, apologies. I think that's just out of my window. I'm going to... Give me a second. I'm just going to close it. Yeah, window. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that's better now. Yeah, a lot better. Thanks uh, very much. Thank yeah. you. As I was saying... Uh, no, no worries, Ray. Uh, as I was saying, I'm just going to look at a few tactical setups now that you can expect to see from Spurs, both in and out of possession in the two uh, formations, the 3 4 3 the 352. So let's look at this one, for example. Now, obviously, Spurs are in white, the opposition are in blue here. Uh, this is, say, an example where the opposition have the ball and Spurs are in a 352. Now, if you can see the in this example, I put, the ball is with the, the right sided center back in the in the opposition defense. This what I'm trying to do here is show you how the defense will usually set up or rather the team will set up yep. when they're when they're defending. So if you can see on the flanks, there's automatically a two versus one um, numerical overload that's created because if you're playing against a team that's playing with a back four, I've, I've set them up in a 4-3-3 here, but it could be a 4-2-3-1 or any other sort of configuration here. But any team that plays with a back four and wingers, automatically when you're playing with a back, when you are playing with a back five, out of possession, your wing back and the wide center back will be able to form uh, uh, an overload on the opposition winger. You can see I've highlighted those areas there. So yeah. it will be difficult for them 
to sort of receive possession, turn and and you know run into space. The only way they can do do that is by pushing their fullbacks forward. So as you can see in this image, the fullbacks are quite deep for the opposition. They'll need to push on the fullbacks to then try and have a two versus two situation. But then obviously that leaves the threat of a counterattack. So that automatically, naturally, the way the formation works gives you an overload in in the wide spaces. It also gives you, excuse me, it also gives you an overload potentially in central midfield because. Again, when you're playing with against a team that are playing with a four-three-three, the 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 man at the base of the opposition midfield, the number six, uh, so will be a lot deeper, obviously, than the, than the other two midfielders. As you can see here, they, you know, the the three Spurs midfielders will be able to again have a three versus two um, numerical advantage in that zone of the pitch, while the two strikers, the two Spurs strikers, will look to stay central and block passes into that number six. So. You can see, like you know, the the centre backs here will not be easily uh, able to pass to that number six because your two strikers are blocking the passing angles. They're marking him. They're not allowing him to get space. So let's look at Chelsea for example. I, I know Chelsea have been playing with a back five, with a back three, but say if they're playing with a four-three-three uh, and it's Jorginho who's at the base of midfield, yep. Uh, a lot of Chelsea's play flows flows through. Uh, Jorginho, but you can shut that down by doing this, where the two strikers are marking—not, I wouldn't say marking him, but basically marking the space and marking the passing channel. So it's very difficult for him to get onto the ball. The only thing Spurs, oh sorry, the opposition, which say it's Chelsea in this example, the only things uh, the opposition can do easily here is to play the ball out wide to the fullbacks. As you can see, the fullbacks are, um, you know, they're, they're they're free, and this is something that Wolves did really well under Nuno. Pass the ball out to the fullbacks, because the moment the ball is passed out to the fullback, and this is the next image over here, you can see um, the team, which in this case is Spurs, move out wide to try and shut down options there and win the ball back. The back five will shift so that the the right in this example, your right wing back will move tight to the winger. You still have a back four, so you still have a four versus two. Against the uh, against the two opposition attackers, the, the the winger and the striker, and your wide uh, the 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 striker who's wide on the side where the ball has gone. So in this example, your right uh, sided striker will go out to the flank. He'll sort of block the pass infield into the midfielder through his body positioning, and uh, your other striker will just sort of sit on the other midfielder, or he'll and he can also sort of sprint out to the centre back if. Um, you know the left, the left back in this example tries to play the uh, pass back. So again, you can see here how it's not, um, you know, easy for the for the for the man on the ball to find passes to his teammates without, you know, they they will be risky passes because there will be a, an opposition player very close by looking to make a tackle and get the ball back. Sure. And sure. this this sort of wide. So if you can see in this image, the next one. There's a sort of triangle that I've created there, and that sort of wide triangle is something that we saw a lot under under, Wool, uh, under Nuno at Wolves, and we can expect to see at Spurs as well because it's again it's a continuation of the previous example where the left back, the opposition left back, has the ball. Your defensive line has now essentially become a back four because 
the players have basically come in. So the left wing back has come in field to become a left back. They've all sort of tucked in, as you can see uh, with the arrows. The And the right wing back has moved forward to sort of attack the guy on the ball, the left back here. And uh, your your striker is sort of dropping away to close off the pass to the centre-back. One of the midfielders is staying central to close off the pass inside. And you also have, you know, both of those midfielders being marked by your midfielders. Your striker is marking the opposition uh, number six. So this, I mean, this image makes it very clear. The where, where can the left-back go? The, all he can hope to do is try and play a long pass infield to, to his striker, which, you know, it's difficult to play those accurately. And it's quite easy for, for defense. And just to get in, get, win the header and win the ball back. Or he can try and play it back, which will be a difficult one to do and a risky one because you can lose possession in, in a dangerous area. So this sort of this is basically an example of like a, of a wide pressing trap where initially you're forcing the opposition wide, you're staying compact centrally, you're forcing the opposition to go out wide. And once they've done that, you sort of spring your press, you spring your trap in that sense to try and win the ball back. And that's this is something that Bulls did really well under Nuno and I expect to see this um, sort of this sort of movement or this sort of uh, situation happen when when Spurs play next season as well. Now, moving on to this was with um, Spurs playing in a three-five-two. Now, say Spurs play in a three-four-three. Three. I mentioned earlier how when that happens, when the opposition have the ball, it will become a five-four-one, and you can see this sort of shape in this image here. It's quite clear there's a five-four-one shape that your that your uh, team is setting up in because it's it's and and you're covering the width of the pitch where your it won't be easy for the opposition to play down the wings because you have a winger and a wing back on the flanks to you know uh, press to to block passing lanes as uh, and make it difficult for you to progress. You'll have to come inside and uh, as I said that it's that's the that's one of the ways in which you can differentiate between when a 3-4-3 and a 3-5-2 is used based on how the opposition play. So this sort of setup is what you can expect to see from Spurs when they play in a 3-4-3. It will become a 5-4-1 out of possession. And in terms of attack, now when Spurs do have the ball in this 3-4-3 shape, because again, you have a winger and a wing back, it's easy to attack down the flanks. One sort of movement that is a quite common again under Nuno and Wolves Can I carry on Ray? Yeah sorry carry on yeah sorry yeah Yeah no worries yeah. so uh one one movement that uh, was again quite common uh, under, uh, under Nuno and Wolves was this sort of I'd say wide rotation where you can see the winger on the left, dropping off when the left wing back has the ball. So he'll come short to try and receive possession, play a 1-2. And because he's coming short, the opposition defender obviously has to follow him. So he's then creating the space for the left wing back to run into. So it sounds very simple, but this was extremely effective for, for Wolves um, over the last three or four seasons, where one of the attackers drops off, plays a quick, uh, one two with uh, with the wing back, and because the attack has dropped off, the defender has to follow him, and he's created space in behind for the wing back to run into, and then the wing back can sort of attack the box, cross, uh, you know, 
player cut back to to someone running into the box. And again, given the profile of players that Spurs have, I think this this sort of tactic can work really well. And lastly, another thing that that Wolves did well. This is if they're playing in a three. If uh, sorry, Spurs are playing in a three-five-two. The two strikers will stay high and central. So, even though one of them could look to drop off, like Harry Kane does quite often, but if it's say a Kane and Son, you can expect to see Kane and Son staying high, and that will force the opposition backline to also then stay deep. Because if you've got two guys who are not dropping off, they're both staying on the shoulder of the defensive line. The defensive line then can't move up because you're leaving spaces behind. So the defensive line will drop off, and that creates space between the defense and the midfield. When you're playing, and then when you've got the three, your three midfielders in the three-five-two, you've got three central midfielders. Another thing that you can expect to see is one of the central midfielders dropping into the defense. What that will do is again. The opposition here is, you know, they have two choices: either one of the opposition midfielders has to follow that player, or he stays back because if he follows, and but obviously there are there are consequences of that. So now, if he follows the player, there's space left behind him. If he doesn't follow the player, that the player who's dropping off has space and time to receive possession and dictate play. So, in the event that you know the the defensive midfielder, say Hoybier. Drops in, and the opposition midfielder follows him. You've got space then there, as you can see, the left-sided central midfielder or the right-sided central midfielder can then drive into that space with the ball. And this is, I think, particularly relevant because if you've got Tanguy and Dombele in that left-sided central midfield spot, this could be could work out really well because he's extremely good on the ball in terms of driving upfield, dribbling. He reminds me a lot of Musa Dembele yeah, when he yeah. was at Spurs. Yeah. He's he's quite. Yeah, so he's quite difficult to um, get, you know, dispossess in that sense uh, when he's running on the ball. So, if Spurs are able to create this sort of space for him to run into on the ball, um, it'll be. I think that'll be the best utilization of his talent, and that's why I think he will potentially be used when they're playing a three-five-two. So okay. That so when they're playing in a three-man midfield, when it's a two-man midfield, he'll. He, I, I don't know if he'll play that. Often in the pivot, in the two-man midfield, because his tendency to move forward can leave the defense a little bit uh, unprotected. Sure, sure. He could sure. play as one of the two, one of the three attackers. Yep. So basically, uh, in the attacking line, but uh, I think when it's a three-man midfield, is when you can expect to see Ndombele play a lot more. If it's a two-man midfield, maybe not. But this is basically one example uh, of how. Spurs can utilize Ndombele's strengths within the system that Nuno is expected to use, yep. and given the amount of money that's been spent on him, given just how good he is, in my opinion, he's a very, very good player. Yep. So Mourinho obviously didn't get the best out of him, but Nuno potentially can in this sort of setup. So that's basically what I wanted to talk about in terms of you know the the, the type of tactics, the type of formations, the type of individual sort of strategies or, or setups that we can expect to see um, from Nuno at Spurs. That's excellent, Harshal. That's really, really good. Really detailed analysis, really explaining what's going to happen. I think our 
subscribers would really like that. I think that's excellent. So, you know, if you've got any comments or any questions for Harshal, please put them in the comment section. Remember to comment, like, and subscribe. Harshal, um, I think we've got some good times to look forward for Nuno, if he can get the right people. I think one thing I wanted to ask you is how important is it, I mean, this is, again, he has to have the right type of player in each of those positions to execute that strategy. If you don't have the right player, then it doesn't matter what formation you play, it just doesn't work. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, you, you've uh, nailed it in terms of... Uh, because, as you said, you know, the formation is irrelevant if you don't have the right players. And that's why the move for uh, Takehiro Tomiyasu makes sense. Because yeah. if you're going to play with a back three, yeah. it makes sense to have a player who's comfortable playing in a back yeah. three, but can also play out wide, you know, at wing back or right back if needed. Yep. That's also another thing which, uh, from the Euros, for example, which I think can have an impact on Spurs is, again, Denmark. Because Hoiberg, he he played a very defensive role for Spurs. He was sitting in front of the defence, protecting the defence, and he did a good job at that. But for Denmark, especially after they moved to the 3-4-3, he was playing in, two, in a two-man pivot, and he was much more creative and much more attacking. He was, one, he was actually the sort of creative heartbeat of Denmark. He helped set up he was creating a lot of chances. He was progressive with his passing. And again, I, I can see that working at Spurs as well if they play with the back three because he has the additional protection of another defender behind yep. him. He has yep. the protection of wing-backs. So that's again something that uh, you can expect to see from Hoiberg at Spurs if they play with a 3-4-3, you know. So that that's another example of the rules of the role suiting him. Okay. Harry Kane, I think, will work brilliantly Whichever system if he stays wants to play, in. of course. But <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's going to leave. I think it's going to be very difficult to, to get him out of there. But uh, of course, assuming he stays, he'll obviously play a huge role. But he works really well again in the system. Son works extremely well in the system. Uh, Lo Celso, Ndombele, Dele, they all can play very good roles in specific, you know, parts of of the way Nuno wants to play. So, yeah. As I said, I think I think the Spurs squad is actually quite well set up to play in the way that Nuno wants. So, in that sense, it's it's actually not too bad an appointment. Okay, excellent. Well, listen, Harshal, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. Everybody, welcome. Um, please leave your comments, like, subscribe. I know Harshal's a really popular presenter. We got really good feedback on the last video, Harshal. So thank you very much. We hope to have you again for in the near future on a new podcast. Everybody, put your comments down on what you want Harshal. Harshal's got a lot of expertise, a lot of experience. Please tell us what you would like to hear from him. Please put that in the comment section. We're trying to arrange that with Harshal. But this is Ray from Spurs9501 saying thank you very much. We'll see you on the new podcast. Harshal, did you want to say goodbye? Yep. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting on sometime soon and, and delving a little more into, into Spurs. So, yep, thank you. Thanks, Arshul. Excellent. You've been listening to the Spurs 9501 podcast. Stay in touch, continue the debate, and let us know what you want to discuss by finding us on YouTube. Tune in after the next match day for more insight. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Spurs 9501 podcast. Stay in touch, continue the debate, and let us know what you want to discuss by finding us on YouTube. Tune in after the next match day for more insight. Thanks for listening.